This is the Squared Goal Podcast with Mark Morris and Jared Maruyama. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Squared Co. Podcast. I am your host, Mark Morris, and with me, Mr. Jared Mariyama. What's going on, Jared? Not much, Mark. Good to be here. Good to see you this weekend. We just, this is what, the oh, 18th? Oh, we did do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been a while, so it was nice it's, to see you in person. It's only been a few days, but it, it feels like a while ago already. I th- And we'll get it more into this, uh, our little rendezvous over our monthly <laughs> recap, I think. Absolutely. Um, but I wanted to say something really quick before we bring on our guest, and it's that, so, you know, social media, there's all these different platforms. You got Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, and if you follow us on only one of them, I just wanted to, like, let people know that there is a slight benefit to following us on all the social media platforms. It's because we share different things on different platforms, so... Uh, I mean, not that it's super critical, but if you (laughs) like what we do and what we offer, you know, it's it would be fun for you to uh, follow us on Facebook. So I know Jared kind of is responsible for the Facebook post for the most part, and he'll share a lot of videos. um, And that's something that's a little bit easier to do on Facebook versus the other platforms. And then Twitter, we can share direct links. um, And Instagram, as everybody knows, is basically just images. So there are different we offer different things for the different social media platforms. Um, Absolutely. So I just and to like throw that out there with Facebook, we'd certainly like to start more of a conversation in there and get more of the listeners right. in there so we can get, uh, you know, information or ask questions or just get a general sense of, uh, the audience and things like that. So Facebook, I think we can be a little bit more interactive, but, um, but yeah, definitely give us a follow. Like it matters at this point. I think, I don't think it's much of a, of a challenge to, <laughs> well, to follow us across the I board. Think, right. But a lot of people, like they just post the same thing for all three. So I feel like people may be under the impression that if you follow one, it's the same. So I just wanted mm-hmm. to like make it a, a little announcement that it is a little bit different for us. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, so we'll start that. emphasizing that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but now we'd like to bring on our guest, uh, Mr. Benson Shum. Welcome to the show, Benson. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Now, yeah, Benson, did he say your last name correctly? Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, yeah, Shum. Shum. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to <laughs> make sure. There you <laughs> go. Lots of people pronounce it different ways, so appreciate it. How yeah, dare you doubt me, Jared? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, but we So we just talked a little bit about social media um, and how for us, we like to have, you know, offer different things for all the different channels. How involved are you, Benson, with uh, social media? Like, do you have... I'm assuming you have all of the different social media accounts, but do you utilize them for different reasons or do you kind of just share the same content across the board? Um, I kind of show them across the board the same. Uh, some things mm-hmm. on on Twitter, I might like talk about other things a bit more, uh, but for my Instagram, right. I tend to uh, post more of my illustrations. And is that something that, like, do you utilize social media as a platform to... Like build an audience? Is it something that you like? You like to engage with your following? Um, do you have like a specific? Do you use it for a specific reason? I guess. Um, yeah, I think I use Instagram to 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 show my artwork, but also kind of connect with people that follow or like. So whenever someone does respond, right. I I try my best to respond to 
all the comments. Um, oh, wow. And, uh, and same thing with Twitter. I think I learned from Twitter that I didn't realize that that was a big publishing uh, platform. So I just mm. joined that probably like eight months ago. But before that, right. I was just Instagram. So I'm learning a lot about Twitter or learning more about it. So that's interesting. When you say that it's a, a platform for publishing and stuff, uh, how, how so? Is it just because a lot of uh, authors and illustrators use it as a means of communication? Or how, how is that the case? Uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's, it's to communicate with um, other writers and, and illustrators. And also a lot of the publishing houses are also using that as well. As far as Instagram, it's more, more illustrators, more animators, uh, people that show more mm -hmm. art. Yeah. So on your Instagram, though, you do you have a lot of work. I mean, outside of your 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 day job, which is uh, at a little company that people might have heard of called Disney. Um, <laughs> but like you do a lot of stuff like are these sort of warm up drawings or do you do you, like how do you find the time to do so much <laughs> extra stuff? Right. Um, I, I like to doodle a lot. So um, uh -huh. when I'm not busy or I have an idea or something inspires and I'll just do a little drawing and then maybe after work if I have time on the weekends I'll kind of embellish that idea into a little story for each illustration and just create a little um yeah pretty much a little story within illustrations and then just make something out of that and then sometimes those illustrations inspire maybe a story for a book eventually but right. a lot of times it's just me trying to be more creative outside of uh being creative at work it's just a different type of creativity because this is more of my own stories mm -hmm. and whereas I work, you're trying to create a vision for what the director wants. Right, right. right. Uh, I noticed, you know, speaking of kind of the posts that you share on your Instagram, that you do a lot of watercolor work. Is this something that, like, is this your favorite medium? Because if I'm looking through your Instagram, it's the majority of it is watercolor. Is this something that you picked up um, more recently or is this just like the medium that you kind of gravitate towards? Yeah, I think right now I'm gravitating towards uh, ink and watercolor. I actually just learned mm -hmm. uh, to paint about two years ago because I've always been painting more like flat graphic digital work. And then right. uh, I was very intimidated to paint because I never had a painting class. And then a friend of mine painted in watercolor and ink and then she showed me her process. And uh, so I just kind of just went with it and just experimented a lot. So, but, but before mm -hmm. that, I was actually painting with gouache because uh, I was trying to mimic okay. what I could do digitally with traditional medium. Right. Uh, so I went back and forth, but right now I think I'm I'm liking watercolor and uh, and ink. How so, similar or wait dissimilar? a second, wait a second before we move on. <laughs> so you're telling me that these paintings that you're doing here that we're seeing, you just learned to do traditional painting within the last two years? Yeah, I think so. I think it's two. Maybe I think it was around, it was around that time okay. because, uh, like, whenever I was uh, working in TV, I uh, I played a lot with colors, and then uh, so what it, when I was learning the traditional medium, I painted like I was painting digitally. So a lot of my colors tend mm -hmm. to be very flat. So when I was doing gouache, I painted in that type of way. Uh, when I had to learn watercolor, yeah. it was a completely different mentality because when I start to paint in that medium, my friends like you're painting too thick. You got to put more water, like just a dab of paint. <laughs> and then I'm like, but there's no paint in this. There's no pigment. And she goes, you got a layer <laughs> on top of it. So that was a, a complete opposite from painting gouache to watercolor. Um, but mm -hmm. I find for me, uh, the watercolor was a sense of looseness and I wasn't as tight. Uh, and so there's mm -hmm. a lot more spontaneity in it. 
So it's just a different right. different feel to it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry, Mark. You can go ahead with your question. I didn't mean to interrupt there, but no, I had no, to no. get that in there. <laughs> my goodness. If people aren't crying out there right now after seeing his work and how much he's done uh, in the past two years, that's that is just phenomenal. Yeah. You know, uh, but I was just going to ask, I mean, still on the same kind of topic, how similar and dissimilar is gouache to watercolor, at least in your experience? Because from an outsider, like I don't know that much about this gouache and using watercolor, but you kind of have to mix. It's similar, right? Like you have to mix your own colors and the uh, the pigments and the water, right? Right. So what's what are some of the similarities and I don't know, the challenges between the two, I guess. Uh, similarities would be, yeah, like you said, the, uh, mixing paint to get a certain color. Right. The thing that's opposite about it is, well, actually, what's similar is also with gouache. If you add a lot of water, it turns into watercolor. So gouache is kind of a okay. mix between, it's like a medium between acrylic and watercolor. Mm. If you add too much water to gouache, it turns into watercolor. If you add very little water, it becomes opaque, so more like acrylic. Right. So it's cool for me to hear that you, you I mean, you, you're somewhat, you're pretty established as an artist, but you're still kind of dabbling and experimenting with new mediums. Uh, I think it's kind of refreshing because I think a lot of artists, they'll find like their comfort zone and they'll just stick to it. Um, like Jared, for example, is pretty much primarily just stuck in Adobe Illustrator. But it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I, I got to find my <laughs> my uh, opportunities to give Jared jabs as much as possible. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I'm all for that. <laughs> but So how important, Benson, do you think it is for artists to kind of maybe get out of their comfort zone? Um, so like personally to you and taking up painting watercolor a little bit later in your career or more recently, has that kind of how has that impacted your work since you started experimenting with these different mediums? It's made me think differently on how to design and how to create the styles. So mm -hmm. for example, if I am creating, I'm trying to like replicate this digital work that I'm right. doing, then to achieve that, I might try a different way. Like for example, I might be painting with, well, ink it first and then watercolor it or watercolor okay. and then ink it. I think, I think it's good to change it up, but at the same time, like you don't want to keep changing it or else you're never going to really get good at one thing, you know? Right, right. Um, yeah, so I think it has vanished to both. So, um, okay, so you have this book that's uh, just out. So we're going to jump around here a little bit probably yeah, yeah, throughout this ahead. whole thing because <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy. So you are, by day, uh, an animator at Walt Disney Feature, and uh, one of the projects that you've worked on sort of on the side but still through Disney is this uh, new children's book that you put out, Holly's Day at the Pool. So I wanted to kind of go into that. We'll, we'll kind of talk about all aspects of this because it's an interesting project all the way around. But uh, for those illustrations specifically, what did you, what did you use there? Uh, for, the, for that book, I did it completely digital for the final work. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was uh, developing it, I, I did it a lot more on like, pencil and pen on paper. Mm -hmm. And that's where I did all my design and ideas. And then when uh, that was kind of to a certain point, then I would scan it and then redraw them digitally and then send that mm -hmm. off to, to the editor and art director. Mm -hmm. um, so when you started this project, did you know uh, that you were going to do it digitally or did you think you were maybe going to do something in watercolor? Um, 
I was gonna do this digitally because back then I didn't paint. <laughs> I started this like <laughs> I started this project in well, I pitched it back in 2012, and uh, okay. it oh, wasn't wow. greenlit like as in it wasn't approved to be made until 2014 summer. Oh, uh, okay. I don't think it's 14 or 15. It's one of sorry, it's a year. But um, it, it, it took a while, <laughs> and and actually back then I was learning Photoshop, so I just kind of was kind of learning a new software, and and uh, so I did like rough pitch, like I'm sorry, rough uh, illustrations to kind of show what the book would look like. So when it was mm-hmm. finally approved, they didn't want to see a different style because they don't know if I could do that style. So you usually stick with what you've pitched. Yeah. So we'll end up doing the book digitally. Right. Okay. So I, I want to talk about this so we can kind of set this up first. This is through the Walt Disney Animation Studios Artist Showcase series of, of children's books. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, that program, like w- what what it is and what it sort of aims to do? Uh, yeah. So the program was actually started by John Lasseter. He wanted mm-hmm. to kind of encourage artists at the studio to create their own characters, um, their own worlds. And... Uh, so he started this children's book program, and uh, every mm-hmm. year they would, you know, let anyone can submit within the studio an idea. So mm-hmm. whether that would be like a manuscript uh, with a few illustrations or just like a synopsis, and then right. they would go through a panel of uh, judges, which would be the directors at the studio, and then they'll bring in uh, two representatives from Hyperion, and they all mm-hmm. come in and they kind of whittle it down to a couple, and then. Whenever it's ready, they would bring John Lasseter in, and he would decide which books move forward with Hyperion. So, so Hyperion and John decides which book goes forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you'd be considered a vendor to publishing. Right. Yeah. To Hyperion. Oh, I yeah. see. Mm-hmm. So, are, is there only one book or pitch selected per year, or is like, is it just depend on how many submissions there are? Is there like a certain number that they will end up moving forward with? Uh, sometimes. They said that they could pick none. Sometimes they pick two or, mm. or one. Uh, it really depends on just the stories, on, um, right. on what Hyperion is looking for at that year, that time, and also uh, what JL or John Lasseter um, wants to move forward with. Oh, JL, so, I love you're that. So, you're so close to him that you call him JL. <laughs> That's what everybody just do, calls him. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. I'm going to use that just to uh, pretend like I'm in the inn. <laughs> um so i wonder if you can tell us about the pitch like what yeah i was gonna is it just wide open to whoever wants to do it do they do they ask certain people and like what made you decide to uh to do it to do the pitch yeah it was no they don't ask you to do it it's really up to you like they have it Mm -hmm. on like the company internet you know and um Mm -hmm. yeah you you just decide if you want to do it or not and sorry what was the question after that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what so made then, you oh, want to, to pitch right. yeah. um, I think because I was already starting to kind of uh, create little stories with my illustrations and drawings that I thought mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. let's give it a try you know the worst they could say is no <laughs> and then that's it <laughs> <laughs> so then did you have this uh, specific idea in mind or did you create this concept specifically for this pitch actually yeah I didn't have this idea in mind until I thought oh maybe I should try something so I wanted mm-hmm. to do something, and then actually it came about when I was actually waiting for the bus to go home, and I was talking mm-hmm. with my sister uh, up in Canada, and uh, my niece was about two years old at that time, and she was transitioning transitioning from taking baths to showers, and then she just hated it, 
and just the water. <laughs> and then, you know, I'll ask my sister, like, why? And she gave me all these excuses, you know, with her. She would take a doll with her. So all that kind of stuff. And I thought that was, <laughs> that was kind of interesting because, you know, a shower is not a big deal for us. But for a kid, right. that's, that's a big transition, you know. It's like a waterfall on them, right? <laughs> So I thought that was interesting. And then I thought hippos because hippos are adorable, but also because <laughs> hippos are born in water, you know, like, and then to have mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. juxtaposition of it being afraid of water, I thought that was kind of fun. So, yeah, yeah, totally. So did this character exist beforehand or did you come up with the story and then kind of mold it to a character? No, I actually did uh, an illustration, a painting of it without actually um, having this idea. And then I just took right. that character and then made it into Holly. Very cool. Mm. So this was like a something out of your sketchbook that you were able to purpose mm-hmm. um, for the story specifically. Mm-hmm. So what did you actually physically submit for for this uh, pitch? Yeah. Did you have to do a presentation, or was it just submitting like a manuscript and some images? Yeah, it was just submitting a manuscript and images. I thought we would have to pitch it directly to them, um, but we mm-hmm. didn't. So. Which is yeah. good because that would be very intimidating. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then, once they accept your pitch, what is the process then? Did they uh, did they work with you on the story? Like, what was what were some of the steps that you had to take to get to the final product? Uh, yeah. So when I made past the first round, they would come back with mm-hmm. some notes, and uh, I would address them, and then I'll send them back in, and I'll go through another round, and mm-hmm. then so that went I think twice. So. This was your first children's book, though. Is that is that right? Yes. Very cool. <laughs> so a lot of your work, if you were looking through it, even like the still images and just the like the single illustrations, um, there's always some sort of like a story to be told or that you can grab from these images. Um, it, it seems like you are a storyteller by looking at all of your work. Is even though you said this was kind of like a contest within your work, was publishing or children's book something that you were interested in pursuing even you know if this contest didn't exist honestly i don't think i would i think because (laughs) it was just never thought i would be able to do it um because so as a kid (laughs) i would go to libraries with my sister and my sister was a very avid reader and Mm -hmm, i would borrow all these books as well but i wouldn't read them i would just look at the pictures so so i love (laughs) kids book like um the illustrations and stuff and then when I started writing this manuscript, I found I really enjoyed writing, even though I don't know a lot about writing. But like you said, we're just kind of mm-hmm. telling stories. So that's something that I'm learning more about and would love to do more. Yeah, yeah that's great. So this is kind of a design-related question, um, but it applies to this book specifically. Like when you get down to kind of designing the way the pages are going to look as you're reading the actual physical story or the, f- the physical book are you involved with that decision on where the words are going to lie within the illustrations or on the page because if you look at a lot of children's books there's so many different ways that this relationship exists um you know they can have a page that's dedicated to text and copy only and then the illustrations on the opposite side or they split the page in half where the top half is an illustration the bottom half is the copy and then you know there's other options where the copy will exist in an open area within the illustration Uh, did you have a vision for this as you were pitching or is this something that kind of came later in the game uh when you were getting involved with like revisions and edits and that sort of thing um no you're completely right it's uh 
it really depends on the project. I think for this one, mm-hmm. um, I kind of place the words uh, roughly where it is, and then when we're su- with my drawings, and then when I submit that to the art director and the editor, they would go in and shuffle things around. Like maybe this will work right. better if it was on the next page, and maybe this spread will be with no words, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there would be other uh, books where they already set the text for you, and then you kind of work around those texts. And I'm sure it's flex for them, flexible for them to move it around still. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like seems more collaborative. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of the text either dictates with illustration or the other way around. So was during this whole process, was there a particularly uh, difficult part of it for you or, or anything that was surprising when you're doing your first children's book here? Or was it pretty much what you thought it was going to be, like a lot of just back and forth with revisions and, you know, refining? I actually had a really good experience. I, I think because I was learning so much and I would just take any note and... I'll do them, but I also ask why because I want to understand what is going mm. through their head and why they decide mm-hmm. to make those choices. Because like there's a reason for everything in in books, and especially in children's books, I've right. learned to appreciate how much thought is going to every single like every single picture, like why that's there, mm-hmm. and, and uh, like the page turn is a really big thing. Like how do you make you know adults or parents who is who is reading to turn the page? Like that's that's a big thing too, and pacing how to pace a book. Interesting. So, wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of the comments that you got. That like some of the art <laughs> notes that you would get. Uh, did they tend to be about like character stuff or more overall composition? I always think that's a fascinating part of, of uh, this process because just like for the things that you mentioned, where it's things a lot of the common public I think don't you know, no go into designing these mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. Um, was there any of the comments that you can share with us here or sort of what, talk us through? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so there's, there's, <laughs> um, so there's what, so for example, for the page turn, right? So you turn from right to left, right? So you always want the characters yeah. <laughs> to kind of, you want the characters to be looking towards the page that you're going to turn. Because uh, if the characters are facing mm-hmm. the other way, then you'd be looking at that way. You'd be looking left. So yeah. I think it's on the second second page. You see the father mm-hmm. says, let's go to the pool. And mm-hmm. then I had him looking in a certain way, but the director said, let's flip him around and had him, at least the head looked the other way. So there's, right. so there's stuff like that. So it's good that you actually ended up going digital with this because if you're traditional, I could see like it would be such a headache and hassle having to make these revisions on a physical piece of artwork versus digital. You know, it's so much easier to, like you said, flip a character. You could just highlight that character, flip them over or even rescale, resize, move them around. Um, yeah, I would have can't imagine how <laughs> frustrating it would be if you're working traditionally with some of this. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I actually asked, asked like, are most books done digitally these days? Because there are sometimes mm-hmm. just so many changes, right, in, in books. Right. Um, and because it is digital, like, you do have the option to go back and fix something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. But then, like, going to book conferences and learning more about the industry, there's still a lot mm-hmm. of people that do things traditionally. So oh, there's, so yeah, I, I don't know. I would love to do a, a traditional book. And I've never experienced yeah. that, like, where there might be a lot of revisions. So how do I go about doing this, you know? Um, but you know, there's also something nice about, um, having a traditional piece cause it has a different feel to it as well. 
So oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, even with technology and Photoshop having all these really elaborate brushes and being able to mimic kind of traditional strokes and paper. Yeah. The texture that you get from a traditional piece is it's difficult to mimic that, you know, kind of those happy accidents you might run into. Um, and just, yeah, like you said, it's a completely different look and feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of those things too. The artists, uh, artists tend to recognize that more than the general public. Uh, you can pick yeah. up on certain <laughs> things, but, but definitely, it's it's nice to see traditional stuff still happening out there. I know from what the books that I've worked on and, and uh, the the different groups that I've worked with on the books, I know that when people do stuff traditionally, that that all that upfront, the sketches and all that stuff, the mm -hmm. the layout and everything, it's, it's gotta so be super tight. tight yeah. right? It's yeah. incredibly tight, and then the changes tend to be. If they come late in the game, they tend to be very like like do or die. Like if you know we can't publish this if right. it goes out like that. So, <laughs> well, I mean, you'd also have the ability to kind of hit that middle ground where you start traditionally and you can kind of tweak and edit, you know, digitally. Um, but yeah, it's I I feel like an artist who worked so hard on a traditional illustration would kind of be heartbroken if somebody had to go in and tweak it digitally after the fact. Uh, no, yeah, so. I'm, yeah. <laughs> um, but I want to ask, is there a future for Holly and maybe a, a series of children's books with this character? Uh, I would love to do another book with her. Uh, I have a couple mm -hmm. of ideas that I'm working on. Um, as far as um, I need to talk with Hyperion to see what the logistic right. is with that, with that character, mm -hmm. uh, what we can do. Mm -hmm. So. So now, once this book was published, uh, you did a quite a bit of promotional. I mean, this right now is kind of promotional for this book, but you had done a lot of book signings and appearances. You did, uh, I believe, a, a show with uh, Gallery Nucleus mm -hmm. for the launch. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So how how was that uh, doing all that promotional stuff for the book? Uh, it's fun. It's it's a lot of work, but I think the best part is really, you know, like you said earlier, connecting with with people that. that mm that like the story or like the art and then also hearing stories later from their parents or friends that the kids, their kids reaction and what they do. Like uh, one of the stories is right. like my friends said their kids, whenever they go to the pool, they'll ask what if, what if all the time before they do anything <laughs> around the pool mm -hmm. and how certain people or certain kids attached to certain characters. So, mm -hmm. right. and, and also like drawing in front of the kids, it's great to kind of interact with them because They'd be like, oh, let's add a hat on this hat on Holly or let's add this <laughs> and so-and-so. And then you just draw on the spot with them. So I think that's, that's, that's a lot of fun. So did Hyperion set up a lot of this stuff or was it sort of up to you to promote the book as, as you wanted to? Or how did that work? Uh, Hyperion, yeah, they set up a couple of things. And then I, I went mm -hmm. out on my own to kind of initiate uh, more events. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So like I thought it's, it's a hippo, like maybe I'll contact the zoo. So I, yeah. I talked to, I emailed the LA Zoo and uh, mm -hmm. with some links and then now they're carrying it so which is cool and then oh that's awesome I also emailed like San Diego Zoo and uh, and then so I'm going to go down there in October for two signings which is cool oh cool. Um, so yeah be kind of fun. well now, one of the things oh, go ahead Mark I was just gonna say we'll definitely leave links to uh, to that stuff so people if they're in Southern California area, they can check out those Great. events. Um, but sorry, go ahead, Jared. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say one of the promotional things you did, I don't know if it's uh, the book specifically, but you went on a cruise, it uh, looks like, with some other artists to promote. Was it specifically to promote the book or was it just part of a bigger sort of art 
uh, different <laughs> art thing. Yeah, and it was a bit of both. Um, so yeah. we had uh, Kevin and Stevie who uh, directed the prep and landings, and then they also directed Frozen's mm-hmm. Olaf, sorry, Olaf's Frozen Adventure. And mm-hmm. uh, so they were were kind of like the main the main stars of the ship with the people from Coco. And then because I also worked on that on that short on that featurette. Um, they thought, well, mm-hmm. why don't we bring the book as well? Because it's a pool, it's a cruise. So we also did a signing. So we did a thing called Artists in the Atrium. So me mm-hmm. and, and another artist talked about like how we got at the studio and we painted. So they kind of filmed this painting and then they would just have Q&A from the, from the audience. Oh, that's really cool. How, how was the cruise? It was great. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Disney cruises are now pretty that, cool. Oh yeah. So you've been on a, a Disney cruise before this uh, one? Then. Yeah, this was my second one. Yeah, the first one I was just like on our own, a yeah, normal person. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you're like a publisher's dream, where you just you take your book and promote it as much as possible instead of just doing the work and letting them deal with it. Was this uh, this whole cruise thing? It sounds like it was initiated, you know, totally on you. Uh, this is a, is a mix between uh, me and the studio. So I actually asked. Right. I just went ahead and asked. I'm like, what am I going to lose? <laughs> can we do a signing of the cruise? And like, we'll see what we can do. So Where did you go on your cruise? We went to uh, Tortola and St. Thomas. Okay. Um, and then their Disney Island, which is Castaway Key. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. the, the unfortunate sad part is a week after, you know, with the hurricanes, it, it just uh, like, totally yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really sad. Ah, gosh. Um, so when you were doing this, how many performances, if you will, did you have to do? <laughs> like, was it just a couple of uh, you know shows that you did, or did you guys have to do something kind of every day? No, they set it up that we did it a full a full day. So we did two sessions in the afternoon, and then at night they have what they call a deck party to kind of celebrate uh-huh. the, the Olaf uh, Frozen Adventure. And then uh, I, I helped out with drawing with with people that were on board so so there was just like mm-hmm. one day oh. thing and then at the end i did a signing event that's very cool, cool. that's a that's the way to do a promotional tour is get on a cruise <laughs> right <cool. laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so jared when's the wonderground uh cruise going? i know i, oh, I they gotta get totally that do that, get that. <laughs> <laughs> get that i'm sure and i'm sure they're gonna need podcast coverage yes. so I mean, I'll have to go. Right? It's, you keep everybody I'll, I'll informed on what's happening. Do my duty. Right, That's right. right. <laughs> and so I noticed on your website now uh, that you are going to be doing another children's book. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So uh, my, my wonderful agent found me uh, work to illustrate uh, two board books with uh, Little Simons, with Simon Schuster. And mm-hmm. uh, so I'm kind of working on that right now. That's very awesome. cool. And so you have, did you get a, an agent specifically for the uh, children's book industry or did you always have representation? Uh, no, I, I, I just signed on with her uh, not too long ago. And uh, so, yeah, I never had an agent or anything. So when I went to the book conference a few months after the book came out, I learned mm-hmm. about agents and what agents do and stuff. And then, so I thought I'll just give it a try and, 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 uh, and get one. Mm-hmm. So this is all new to me as well. Yeah. How exciting, Jared, do you have though. an agent? Do you have an agent for your book stuff or is all your freelance kind of just done through the house of Mariyama? I uh, <laughs> use a different voice when I answer my phone and I pretend <laughs> that I am someone else. Like I have a uh, huge hello, staff. Hello, this is Jared's agent. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe a little more convincing than that. But yes. <laughs> yes that's a, that's oh, a, you, no, you, I, you put on your stormtrooper helmet, right? And it's got yeah, that does. change. <laughs> well, there are a lot of artists yeah. that don't have agents like, you know, so, and get plenty mm-hmm. of work. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it just depends on kind of what you're doing. I think, I don't know, like, did, do you feel uh, for the children's book industry, for publishing in general, I guess, that it's necessary that you would have to have it if you wanted to continue to pursue other projects in this field? I don't think so. I had a couple of friends that, you know, I asked them before getting an agent. I'm like, do you have an agent? And they're like, no, they just find work from publishing houses. Like, either they find them or they contact them. So I don't think mm-hmm. it's necessary you might have to kind of might have to try hard to find that work, I'm guessing. But once you find that work yeah. and you develop a relationship with them, I'm sure they'll just give you more work. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah at least you'd hope so. Yeah, yeah. you'd hope so. Yeah. So then, <laughs> so all of this children's book stuff that you're doing is in addition to your day job. Uh, like uh, at any point with like the Holly book or the, the books that you're working on now, do you, is it difficult to juggle both? Sometimes. Um, right now, like if we're not, in crunch, it gives me more flexibility to, you know, so I'm not too tired when I get home. But when we're in crunch, yeah. then I uh, take a step back so that I find time to kind of uh, decompress and relax because right. if you're working like a lot of hours and then you go home and do more of this, you're yeah. just going to burn out. Right, right. Oh, okay. So we'll probably get more into crunch and exactly what that means in a bit here. Cause we're going <laughs> to, <laughs> I'd like to build up to, to Disney because that's the other thing. Like you are doing what so many artists out there want. Like your day job is working with Disney feature animation as an animator. And then you're able to do these very uh, high profile um, personal projects, if you will, at, uh, at right. night, which is just amazing. But before we get to the Disney stuff, I kind of want to go back to, uh, uh, like the earlier stuff, uh, like when you were younger, like, did you know, I know you said in a previous interview or article that you had always wanted to uh, do animation. Was it um, like, at what age was that? And was it always Disney specific or just based on something else that you saw? Yeah, I think it's cheesy, but it has been always been Disney. Um, yeah. Probably <laughs> when I was five, whenever I like just see any cartoons. Um, what I copied most was uh, the Disney shows or Disney uh, TV shows, mm-hmm, or right. just like a you know VHS. Then I'll pause it and I'll draw it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I started at a very young age, uh, but yeah, I stopped after a while because I, you know, you grow up and you're like you can't do this. So, <laughs> <laughs> so so then I you know I just stopped drawing for a long time and then I just kind of start to study like biology or all that kind of stuff. Oh no. Um, but and a horrible stuff, right? Like who is biology? Um, no, but then, you know, at the same time I was sort of like still I was drawing a little bit but but more like oh, I'm gonna draw maps or I'll draw like rocks mm-hmm. or you know like little stuff like that. But it wasn't really like creating stories. Because before mm-hmm. I would just make up my own characters. They were horrible but you know you just it's just like this. <laughs> so this move away from drawing at an age was it because you thought it was uh, like a kid's thing to do or did your parents subtly hint that maybe you should be doing other things like how did Biology. what made you turn yeah. away from drawing yeah it, it was uh, <laughs> i think it was the probably a bit of my parents like yeah so whenever i was graduating <laughs> from, <laughs> so yeah so i stopped drawing for, for a while even through high, to high school i kind of i didn't really draw that much and mm-hmm. then when I graduated, I kind of like I applied to Sheridan 
up in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and I didn't get in because you need a portfolio and you know, my, my stuff was pretty horrible. And, <laughs> and I didn't apply anywhere else. I don't know what I was thinking. I just applied there. I just, <laughs> I was just aloof or something. I think I freaked my parents out because like, I didn't, I didn't go to school for that whole year. You know, so I, I went to work oh. and, uh, you know, at that time I loved cooking. So I, I went to work in the food industry for a while. Oh then gosh. I ended up just kind of <laughs> start to draw again because my portfolio sucks. So I wanted to apply to Cap College. Oh, I also applied to Cap College as well. And I didn't get in there. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so then I worked on portfolio at night while I worked like at a fast food place or some food in uh, restaurants. And, uh, and then I got in that year and mom was like, oh, you know, this is great. You know, you're going to school. <laughs> but then she's like, you know, once you finish this, then, you know, you can like study this, you know. And, but then, you know, once I, once I uh, graduated and then I found work a few months later, she was still like, are you, are you okay? Are you, do you need money? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so then we go. Oh, oh go ahead. Before we go, go too far past this cooking thing, I've got to ask, what's your favorite dish to prepare and cook, Ben? Oh, oh. Um, <laughs> I don't have a favorite dish. I just cook what's easy. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like like stir fry is like I can make that in like five minutes. Like so, just oh, yeah. throwing anything that's in a there. Go to yeah, for sure. Like <laughs> any because I, I grew up watching my mom cook a lot, so I mostly cook uh, mm-hmm. Asian food. Uh, so then you weren't drawing in high school. What made you decide then to apply to Sheridan? Uh, I'm assuming you were applying for an art program, it sounds like, or was it an animation program? Yeah, it was an animation program. Yeah. Okay. So what made you do that all of a sudden out of the blue, and much to the horror and shock of your parents, I'm sure? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was a mix between seeing Jurassic Park. I think it was more like, Oh, like oh, wow. seeing in the visual effects and animation in general is kind of what mm. like say, I want to do this. Yeah, that can say like, I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a try. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that kind of explains some of your earlier things listed on I'm looking at your LinkedIn. I'm, I've got to admit, I'm looking at your LinkedIn page because <laughs> listing all the projects that you've worked on. But the the early stuff is all all the pre-Disney stuff and the pre-studio stuff is for uh looks like live action film or animation parts of live action films uh so is this something separate that you studied in school than say like character animation or is it all one program it's all the same because i mm-hmm. went to school for 2d animation so uh, oh you did okay traditional work yeah um mm-hmm. and then so i learned the uh, the principles of animation in 2d um and then i did mm-hmm. uh after graduating then i started to work in design uh, for tv shows and then I actually had to learn Flash because that was a new uh, software that was coming out and that was the big thing. So I learned that. But then when I, I decided to go back to school to learn 3D. So that's okay. when I actually applied to Sheridan again for the 3D animation program. So then I did that for a year. Then when I graduated, I couldn't find work in 3D. So I went back to doing 2D work. And then uh, okay. eventually I got the opportunity to, to go to London to work in games. And that was my first 3D job. Uh, and then from there, I moved into visual effects. And all the principles are still the same. Like animation is still the same. It's just the style of animation. Because in character work, you kind of stylize the motion a bit more. Whereas in live action visual effects, you want things to move more realistic. So your timing mm-hmm. is different. 
but the principles are all the same. So one of the first things you have listed here is that you were an animator on Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Um, like, what did you what did you do uh, on that film? So we animated the snake. So I was working for the okay. <laughs> so the company was called uh, MPC Moving Picture Company, uh-huh. and um, they were responsible for um, like the wand duels, the nose replacement for Voldemort, uh, Nagini the snake, uh, the, the maze sequence. So um, mm-hmm. I got to animate the snake and all these branches and roots and hedges attacking Harry and Cedric. Wow, that's really cool. So how was that? Like, how, how was that? that? Was that one of the biggest things you had worked on up at that point? Because that's a pretty high profile project to be. Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, I was shocked. And I was so thrilled because I love the Harry Potter series. And then to even be mm-hmm. a part of just a small bit of it is pretty cool. And were you a staff artist for this, or was it like a freelance situation? Uh, yeah, contract based. Yeah, contract most based, uh, okay. most visual effects studios are all contracts. Uh, I think they have very mm-hmm. few full time, like very very few. Mm-hmm. So that's why in visual yeah. effects, uh, you tend to jump around from studio to studio because it's it's, uh, it's service work. Right. So whatever the studio has, they may call you in. That's and, kind of a, an overall shift in the creative world, uh, don't you think, Jared? That like. A lot of the creative services where it was formerly staffed jobs, they'll hire either maybe even like a small agency to fill in this, whatever the, the need is for a specific project. And then, you know, they don't have to worry about having a full-time staff for that, that company. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like they're going to ramp yeah. up for these big productions, but this movie eventually is going to be done and then you don't need 10,000 right. people working yeah. on it. But that's what I'm always wondering. It's like if you're working for... The studio if you're brought on by an outside company just for this mm-hmm. you know influx of work or like how it works i think it's probably still all over the place but yeah i think even with like biz dev and stuff people come on at the beginning and then you know your portion's done and and you move on the other one i want to because i know people are probably dying for us to get to disney and and i am too but well there's the other, one thing that I'll have before you get there. So do, okay. do yours and then I'll jump over. <laughs> so this <laughs> so, other, the other uh, thing you animated on was the tree of life, which is a pretty incredible film. Oh yeah. What, what did you animate on that film? We animated the, uh, the dinosaurs on that film. Mm-hmm. So the creation of life, I guess the start of life. And like, I wonder if you could walk us through that a little bit, cause it's kind of an interesting scene. It's a strange movie, but that's an interesting scene in that movie. And it's pretty pivotal and kind of like it's weirdly placed in the film like how much did you know when you were animating that how this image was going to fit in the overall film? <laughs> nothing you didn't tell <laughs> nothing they just kind of said okay so these are the shots we have and this is what they're looking for in that moment and that was it like we had no idea what the film was about because every every oh, studio wow. that was working on the film had a different responsibility for a different section of the film so we just knew we mm-hmm. had these dinosaurs. So the main thing they told us that these creatures or these dinosaurs are starting to form a conscience. Like they, mm-hmm. before they were just wild, wild uh, creatures. And at one point, they somehow clicked and decided to say, oh, I'm, I'm going to kill this other animal. I'm not going to kill it. I'm going to kill it. I'm not going to kill it. Like that's kind of the, the subtext that they want to give to these characters. Um, yeah. And that's all we had to go off. So in that scene, because I remember this scene vividly, because it, it's such a standout piece of this film. Like, what did you actually animate in that part? Like, uh, did they break this thing down into like tiny little shots? Because it seems like, if I remember correctly, it's a relatively 
short scene yeah. or no? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> we actually animated a lot more, but they cut out most of it. So ah, there's okay. a, I think I animated one of the characters that was like uh, a raptor of some sort, mm-hmm. and uh, and then the other one is I think it's like what do you call it Dilophosaurus that like you know the the Brontosaurus looking dinosaur that mm-hmm. that has uh, that's like a whale kind of mixed between those two. So I had one of those where he's like picking it at his wound. <laughs> I mm. think that was the other one. But all the other ones I think we animated were all cut from the film. Oh, yeah. okay. Interesting. Okay, Mark, go ahead. I just had to get that in there because I thought that was such an interesting, uh, you know, blip on your uh, <laughs> on your resume. Right. But go ahead. Well, this will be kind of a transition into the Disney era uh, or the Disney uh, side of your career. Um, you, For all of our listeners out there who have listened to any other episodes of this show they know that i am a pretty avid mondo follower and collector and you were able to participate in one of their recent shows where they did it was a mondo and disney screen printed poster show um and you were able to do a poster for this show um so before we get into like talking about your actual piece and kind of breaking that down were you familiar with Mondo and kind of the collector's screen printing poster world prior to this project? Um, yeah, yeah. So I think the first time I heard of it was when they did the Wreck-It Ralph Mondo poster. And then the Frozen, mm-hmm. like, I, I actually didn't know a lot about the screen printing world. And then when that came out and I see a lot of friends that bought them, I'm like, oh, those are really cool. And right. then I never thought I'll be able to be involved. But because through this project, I, um, well, before that, I met, uh, James over at Cyclops Prints and, and been talking with him mm-hmm. and he invited me to do a couple pieces with them. And then when this project came out, he's like, oh, we're going to be working with, with Mono. Do you want to be a part of it? I'm like, sure. But I thought it was it was just a Cyclops print thing. I didn't think it was going to be part of this big show until I saw mm-hmm, it on the yeah. website. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so you actually did uh, a few other prints with Cyclops beforehand. What were those prints? Um uh, or like what properties did you cover for those? So they were doing a handbill uh, one year and uh, I did like a, a Dumbo piece for them. Oh, cool. And uh, I think another piece I did for th- with them is uh, they did a, a Ron and John show. So like right. at Gallery That was Nucleus. with the Nucleus, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So then from then on, he's been kind of asking me if I want to help out with, with this show and the show. Kind so of. were the other prints you did with Cyclops, were those screen prints as well? The Dumbo piece was screen printed, um, but the mm. the one with the Ron John show of Gallery Nucleus, uh, that was traditionally painted. So how like involved are you when you're making these uh, posters and designing the artwork? How involved are you in... Like, do you have to be mindful that this is going to be screen printed? And do you try and limit your, the amount of colors that you use? Or like, do you keep this in mind as you're producing the artwork? Uh, yeah. So they gave me like a limit uh, palette of colors to use or these limit colors mm-hmm. I can use and I can pick and choose those colors. Um, and then mm-hmm. when I'm designing, depending on what I'm designing, I tend to design it more in a graphic style because first I, I never actually knew how to separate the the colors, you know, yeah. and prepare it that that's, way. That's a difficult thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so I just did my, um, what I just like my style and everything. And then when it was ready, mm-hmm. I asked them, so do you prepare this file? It's something that I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> so then he sent me like a 30 minute video on how to divide everything up. And, uh, uh he made you do Oh yeah. It? Yeah. I, I did gonna, it. And, uh, that's, uh, 
that's a question that you probably regret <laughs> after the fact. <laughs> it's a bit of a process, but I, I learned how to yeah. do it. So, but yeah, whenever I saw the the actual print, it's it's really cool. Like, I think he said that mm. you kind of leave a bit of a gap underneath every each layer in case it shifts a bit uh, when it's printed, right. and right. Uh, and I love that because not every print is going to be the same, and it's cool that yeah, there's either some paint lifted off or some mistakes. I think it makes it. Um, I don't know, that much more authentic. Yeah, yeah. No, I love screen printing, that whole printing process and exactly what you just said. The fact that there is room for error in there um, that makes each print kind of unique uh, within the whole series. Um, but so we've kind of, we haven't really talked about it. We kind of tiptoed around this. The, uh, the movie that you actually, or it's actually a short, the poster that you designed for was the short before, what no, movie was it? Moana, well, that's right. Because it's the most recent um, short. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Running Inner working? Yeah. Is that what you're, you, you said I'm it earlier. <laughs> yes, it's inner working. Um, but yeah, so what like what made you kind of gravitate towards this short um, versus some of the other available Disney properties? Um, actually, James asked me to do inner workings. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, right. and it's cool because like, I actually didn't get to work on this short, but I I had a lot of friends that did, and they really enjoyed mm. the the style and how far you can push the characters, you know. Mm -hmm. Because you know most of the movies, right. a lot of the movies we do it in CG anyways. Every studio is tend to be a bit more um, the realistic side, and whereas mm -hmm. in workings you can really push, like his body can be like a U shape, you know, and you don't yeah. really get that much of a chance to, to play with shapes like that. So last one before we go into the Disney side of things or like full force Disney. Um, did you enjoy working in this kind of screen printed medium and is it something that you might consider be interested in doing more projects in? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, yeah, I had really fun to kind of play with. Like I love having a limited color palette because it makes you kind of think a little differently and how you can simplify yeah. shapes and designs. So... Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I would love to do more. Awesome. Yeah, it's similar to kind of to how this conversation started with getting involved with a new medium and how that can affect your overall creativity and your whole process. But Jared, go ahead. Your turn. All right. Are you done with your printing <laughs> questions and your color separations? And your <laughs> Well, um, I, I, I might ask Benson afterwards if I can get that 30-minute tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll send you the link. No kidding. <laughs> so then... Like we said, you work for Disney in feature film, and I believe your first the first film uh, you worked on with them was Wreck-It Ralph. Mm -hmm. What was it like to get hired by Disney? Like, do you remember exactly where you were and everything when you found out that you would be working for the studio? Yeah, so I I was at work, <laughs> and I got the email, <laughs> and um, mm -hmm. like it was like just to have like a, a call and an interview. You know, like having an interview doesn't mean you're going to get a job because I've had a lot of interviews where. It didn't work out. Mm -hmm. But no, I remember reading that email and I had to read it a couple of times to make sure I'm not missing the <laughs> not or the, you know, the nose area. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to like jump up and down, but I couldn't because I was around people. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, because like, honestly, I, I actually never thought that, first of all, I could even get an interview because I've applied so many times to the studio and never heard anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then being from Canada and then knowing that I would need a work visa made it that much more difficult. 
I've tried mm. to apply it in visual effects studios in in the states as well, and couldn't break in. So when this opportunity came up, uh, I just had to jump at it. Uh, so then, what did you do on that on that first film? Were you hired as a character animator right off the bat? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, and how did it like when you're doing something like a Disney film? Are you assigned a character? Are you just assigned scenes? Like, how does it work? Or if you can even talk about um, that, I don't know. Maybe it's too hush hush, and they'll have to <laughs> after this. No, uh, <laughs> no, yeah. Like uh, they assign us uh, scenes and shots, and uh, mm-hmm. and then if they find that you kind of gravitate towards a certain character, uh, they may cast you more on that character. So, for mm-hmm. example, when I started on Ralph, the first shot I got was uh, was actually Ralph. And, and then the second shot I got was King Candy. And then um, mm-hmm. they had more shots of King Candy, and they liked what I did with that character. So I ended up animating a lot more of him, that, um, like more of him than all the other characters I did, so, mm-hmm. which is cool because his character is, is kind of like the Mad Hatter. You know, you kind of can go yes. a little crazy, which is yeah. really fun. Now, I was looking at your, your reels uh, from each of the features that you've worked on. And you've pretty much worked on just about everything, I think, since every feature that's come out since uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, I think so. I noticed you started to get a lot of uh, pretty emotional scenes, pretty heavy scenes. Was that something that they came to you specifically because you were good at it, or did it just happen that those were the scenes that you got? So yeah, so for Ralph, most of the stuff that I got was more uh, physical stuff. And then mm-hmm. on Frozen, yeah, I started to get a little bit more. They gave me a chance to give me some emotional stuff. And then from then on, like, Big Hero got a lot of stuff that was more emotional. And then, yeah, I think I gravitate more towards the uh, that type of work, more emotional work. Yeah. yeah. Did you, like, when you're working as an animator on these things, do you have a favorite type of scene that you like to work on? Like, were the emotional scenes fun for you? Or does it does each one sort of propose its own challenge? Uh, I think they each have their challenges, but I do uh, like to animate the characters thinking and and going through like a thought process or some sort of emotion because the challenge is to make this or these characters feel believable because mm-hmm. they really are just an empty puppet. Like if you, if you don't move it a certain way or, or the timing of an eye dart, you know, makes all the difference. You know, if even if the head is still, if the timing between one eye dart to the other and the timing of the blinks could tell you a whole story on what the character's mm-hmm. thinking. And I think, that's a challenge for me, and, and when when you get it just right, it's it can really show what the character's going through. Yeah. Right, absolutely. So I wonder if we can drill down on one of these scenes because uh, I wanted to talk about the scene you did in Frozen, one of the first ones that you show in your reel. It's where Elsa is is handling uh, the the scepter and the crown or or whatever that is that she's holding, mm-hmm. and it starts to freeze because she's getting stressed out about it and everything like that. Like. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about animating that scene. Like, did that take a lot of takes for you as an animator to get right? Did that go through a lot of, uh, like, revisions and slight adjustments? Or how did that go? I think a lot of it was, like, little adjustments. The directors mm-hmm. were pretty clear on what they were looking for. Like, she's like she's going to be revealed for, you know, for her powers. And, and a lot of it is kind of trying to conceal everything. Mm-hmm. So when I was animating that, animating that scene, she was looking at both hands and... She was almost trying to hold her breath because if she if she relaxes, something's gonna happen. So I had mm-hmm. I had her kind of animate very tensely, and then she turned around very quickly to kind of put everything back down. Um, so a lot of the changes were more in the sense of how she put down the scepter 
and uh, how fast she turned it, which she turned slower, which she turned fast. So it was more mechanical stuff. I think mm-hmm. they, they bought off on the emotional stuff uh, earlier on. So then I kind of focused more mm-hmm. on the, the physicality of it. Right. So when you're reviewing shots like this, are, are you doing sort of a one-on-one with the director or is it like a big group? Let's all sit in the theater and go over everybody's shots together. Yeah, usually it's, it's a big group, but uh, at the beginning, everybody's there watching it. And some people chime in, but mostly uh, it's the directors and supervisors. But mm-hmm. as the production goes on, because everybody's trying to get their work done, it's less and less people that are sitting in there. So sometimes it's just you and the supervisor. Mm-hmm. And then when you're done, then the next person kind of comes into the room mm-hmm. because they're trying to do as much as they can before they show. So how, how is that for you, that process, uh, when you're getting critiques on your scenes and things like that? Was that difficult to get used to, uh, especially when you're first starting with a company like Disney, where I'm sure everything felt very heavy with <laughs> intention and weight and like this is history you're making and things like that. Like, does that all kind of come into your head when you're getting these critiques or were you able to sort of, you know, separate yourself from the work? Yeah, it, it's like I worked at quite a few studios before that. So I'm used to getting like my scenes ripped apart if it does. <laughs> Um, but you know, like it's, you still do put your heart into it. So you still need to kind of figure out why, how is this making it better? Like, why is it making better kind of thing? Mm -hmm. And, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, like there's the pressure of seeing all the amazing artists around you and seeing what they're doing and trying to keep up with them, you know, Uh, especially when I started, you know, I would see like when I watch what they're doing or what they submit, like that's pretty much done. And then you go and you watch and then they have to do all these changes. But they're already at that point where it looks great. It's just trying to try a different idea, you know? Is it really uh, competitive between the animators or do you guys kind of come together and push each other and cheer each other on? Actually, I don't think it's competitive at all. I I think, at least from my point of view, because, Mm -hmm. you know, when someone does something good, then you would say, oh, I'm going to try and like find out how they did it. And everyone's very sharing. Right, right. And then if that's what the director wants, then you know what, what, um, where to go, you know? Because, um, yeah. yeah, so it's kind of like this person says at this level, you're like, okay, now I know what the director's looking for. It's maybe something that this character does specifically. You can add that to your mm-hmm. scene. So your stuff, you're not guessing what the director wants. So of all the films that you've worked on uh, before Disney as well, is there a particular favorite project that you have that you worked on either that you're particularly proud of or just that was exciting to work on? Uh, I think Harry Potter was probably one of my favorites uh, <laughs> because it's, it's just Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> you know, um, at the studio, I think Ralph is one of my favorites and Zootopia. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. okay. Now, before uh, starting at Disney as an animator, did you have a favorite Disney film? Let's let's take out any of the films that you've worked on so far and <laughs> go before that. So anything pre-Wreck-It Ralph, was there a favorite Disney film that you had in particular? Uh, yeah, Little Mermaid was still one of my favorites. And and then I rewatched Cinderella when I started the studio. And I think that became mm-hmm. my other favorite. And uh, I don't know, I never really, I didn't watch Cinderella yeah. as a kid. I don't know why. But I watched Pinocchio and I love that. But I feel like Cinderella is really what Disney is. I feel like mm-hmm. the music, the art, everything, mm-hmm. the storytelling. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's probably one of my favorites. So on Mermaid, did you see that when you were pretty young? That's in age nine, I believe, right? So I was yeah. 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember going to the uh, convenience store 
and buying all these like packets, you know, like like trading cards, you know, like hot cards. Uh-huh, yeah. And I didn't buy hot cards. I bought Little Mermaid cards. You know, <laughs> the trade. So they would come with a pack of gum. But then, like you know, you would open them. They're all like screenshots from the film. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and of course, if you flip it, it builds some sort of picture. But but then I use those and I just copy them all the time. So was that the first like Disney film that really had an impact on you, or was it was there stuff before Mermaid? No, I think it was, it was Mermaid. And what about that film specifically sort of uh, affected you? Because it's one of my favorite films too. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. the film that I go back to and say this is why I went into art as a career. But I'm curious to hear if there was something specific about that film that made you, uh, you know, that drew, drew you to it. Uh, I think it's because she's a fish. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I, I okay. just like the fact that uh, it's fantasy and um, mm-hmm. it's underwater. And it's just, yeah, it's, I think I just love the, the fantastical element of it. And, and the music, yeah, yeah. the music was incredible. Uh, I think the music mm-hmm. has a big part of um, why I love Disney as well, aside from the art and and the yeah, you yeah. know the fiery red hair and the greens, like the yeah. colors were were great too. So. Jared, what about you? Why why uh, do you gravitate kind of towards that uh, uh, movie? I think it was timing. So I was a little bit older when I saw it, uh, but sort of on the cusp. Like I was going to go into, I was going to graduate from high school soon, so I was older. But Disney up to that point. Um, wasn't fantastic like we'd watch the older films like cinderella which i was a big fan of Mm -hmm. but the more recent stuff the oliver and company great mouse detective they were okay but i wasn't affected by these films and so i went to little mermaid expecting zero like i had to be like my friends dragged me to the theater to see it because i I really did not have an interest to see it (laughs) because i thought oh it's another one you know and i was just blown away by it like the story was fantastic the music was really good the point at which Eric and Ariel are going to kiss on the ship and it seems like that's going to be the ending like and it wasn't the ending and for, like, for the first <laughs> time in a Disney movie I was like I don't know what's going to happen next you know? like, like how are they going to resolve this so I think it was the first time that I kind of fell back in love with Disney uh, as an adult and then after that it was like Beauty and the Beast and then Aladdin and Lion King and it was just relentless so I was just in it for life after that like crazy <laughs> Disney guy after that. But uh, up to that point, I, I wasn't. I mean, I had seen a lot of the films, but not uh, not to uh, how it was after Mermaid. But Mermaid was right. kind of a phenomenon at the yeah. time. Like, everybody saw it. It wasn't a kid's film. Like, yeah. everybody in the world that, saw yeah, it. Yeah, that and uh, exactly what you said, those four or five animated films afterwards, like, it kind of reshaped um, Disney. The oh, animation, definitely. It yeah, saved totally. Disney. Yeah. Um, like yeah. it wouldn't have been there if it wasn't, wasn't for that film. So you mentioned the music specifically, Benson, do you, ha- one, do you sing a lot? And two, <laughs> <laughs> do you have like a favorite Disney song? Uh, or is it, is it from mermaid? I sing horribly. So no one hears Good. me sing, but I do like to sing. Um, but I think part of your world is probably my favorite for, oh, that's that, great. for that film. Uh, we're going to have to go around the table here, Jared. Yeah. So oh. your turn. Favorite. <laughs> oh gosh. Are we so? Wait, wait, hold on. Are we talking just Mermaid or in like all the? No, whole any catalog? any Disney any Disney film animated. I'd say stick okay. to animated. That's so great. Um, <laughs> I know uh, there are, but um, I think probably something from Beauty and the Beast because that's probably my actual favorite Disney film of all time. So, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if it's 
I don't know. That's hard. Because like some of them I really like to sing. And again, I'm like Benson. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a terrible singer, but that doesn't stop me from singing at my desk. So, you know, hard to say. Like you can break it up into a bunch of categories. Do you have one, Mark? Uh, well, you're going to hate me for my answer. I know. I think, but uh, <laughs> I love Powerline. He's only got two <sighs> songs that have been released, but I love both of That's... them so, so Wait, is this much. from the Goofy movie? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so stand out and eye to eye from Powerline on uh, from a Goofy movie. I well actually so that whole movie. Oh jeez. Uh, fucking, I love that soundtrack so much. It's very catchy. No, um, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's super catchy. It's it's so a great movie. It, it's yeah. a very underrated movie. I will say, like a lot of people didn't see that film, but I remember seeing it in theaters, and it was fantastic. I mean, the storytelling and everything was fantastic. Mm. The animation mm. and it wasn't like the normal, uh, you know, cartoon TV cartoon gone to the movies, like where it's usually just a longer version of the yeah of the series. And I feel like, like it brought uh, back those characters too. Mm-hmm, absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I loved a goofy movie. I didn't care for the second one as much as the first one, but the first one, uh, I think it's it's just as good as any of the features. Yeah. I mean, you know, like in some cases better. Mm-hmm. But that's a terrible choice for a favorite <laughs> Disney song, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> As much as I love those songs. (laughs) So is is there, um, and maybe it's just Mermaid again, but if you can go back through the whole history of Disney films, is there a film that you wish you could have worked on? Uh, That's a good question. The Lion King. Oh, really? How come The Lion King? Um, I love animals and the music Mm -hmm. and the colors was amazing. Yeah. I saw, have you seen the Broadway version? I have. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's incredible. Like, the set design and they even have a separate soundtrack called Rhythm of the Pride Lands. And that was yeah. amazing. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. There's just something about it that I really like. Mm-hmm. Well, we all know that it's coming to be live action and you may not be able to say anything about this right now, Benson, but there's an opportunity for you to actually work <laughs> on The Lion King. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, um, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, we don't see any of that stuff. You know, it's, yeah. it's all live oh, action. So yeah. that's, that's like, Others like visual effects studios work on it, and we have no idea they, what it looks like. They they might poach you because you're such a talented <laughs> animator. Though. They're like, no, you animate cartoons. <laughs> and now that they've heard you on the <laughs> podcast announcing your love for the Lion Kings, there you go. So I wonder if you could just talk quick. I mean, I know we're going to wrap up here pretty quick because we're keeping you. But what is it like working for the company? So you're in the rare place where you wanted to work for Disney since you were a kid. So then you grow up, you do all these other jobs, and then you find yourself doing exactly what you want to do. You're animating character animation on Disney feature films. How has that been for you working for this company? Really, it has been a dream. Um, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, along, my colleague, along with my colleagues as well, and just seeing the, like, you know, Eric Goldberg is just down, you know, down the uh, office from me, and then with Mark and, mm-hmm. and Randy Haycock and, just like okay, so this is a story where, as a kid, I would buy these art of animation books. So it's mm-hmm. it was the one with a purple rim on the side on, around it. I don't know if you remember it, and it has the Hercules in the front. And uh, so I would like open that, and I think there's a ladder one too. But I would see mm-hmm. Mark Hand at his desk, smiling at the camera, and uh, <laughs> and I would just it's weird. I, I would dream that I was watching him or sitting with him while he was animating. And then now I could like call him my friend, you know, and have lunch with him yeah. and just chat about stuff. And, That's amazing. And, yeah. um, 
that's that's pretty cool. And you know, I never thought that would happen, but let alone um, be be animating on any of their films. So yeah, I feel very yeah. Good. That's pretty. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, and your parents must be very proud. It's funny actually because they Finally. <laughs> like they love like our mom really loved Beauty and Beast, but I don't think she quite understood what I did at the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just knew, oh, yeah, you work for Disney, and I think yeah. she go she'd be like, oh yeah, you're just working on. Well, she wouldn't say exactly what I did, but I don't think she knew exactly what I did until I was back in Vancouver <laughs> doing a signing like a few months ago. And we, we went to a local kids' bookstore, and then my sister and I reinvited all our friends. And then she came, and then my sister's like, I think mom knows what you do now. Because, because <laughs> like, she, like, when she saw all these people coming for the, for the book, and she saw, she physically see a book with my name on it, I think she understood what I did, what I do now. But before it was Clicked. more kind of yeah. like, oh, he just works on the movies. And I don't think she understands. Um, what that means or what that is oh he just works on the biggest animated film of all time <laughs> <laughs> other than so, that i'm not like, sure i don't, what I don't get it it's, it's just computers they do everything right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> oh wow well that's amazing i mean i think it's it's exciting to see someone who loves disney uh, grow up and, and and work for the company yeah uh, as opposed definitely. to someone who just sort of goes into animation in general and, and ends up at uh, at Disney, like it's exciting to hear that you have this respect for the history and, and all that. Are you in any of the making of books or like the DVD extras or anything? Um, probably the DVD extras. You must be. Do, I'll probably, I'm probably yeah. in the background somewhere, walking or something. I think yeah. the only thing that I saw recently that had me that a friend told me was that in Moana they were, I think it's like a B-roll footage or something, and uh, mm-hmm. they were reviewing someone else's work, and I was sitting behind them and then they were reviewing this guy's work <laughs> and I knew my shot was before his so yeah. I knew that whatever they were going to critique on his work is going to affect what I do so I sat in there and they're like they're blah blah yeah. blah blah and then they go back and they start talking about my work and they're like oh where's Benson and I turned around and I'm right here <laughs> I think they just kind of got me sitting there staring at the screen that, yeah stuff like that <laughs> well that that's something we didn't even cover but now that we brought it up is that something that you guys in the office are like always aware of because you're this huge company and there is always these like behind the scenes documentaries or you know dvd extras are you aware that there's cameras around or like are there cameras frequently around in the office like just filming random days um of you guys working no actually not at all i think a lot of the stuff is more like like photographs like within our department we have some people that are great at photography mm-hmm. they'll, they'll run around the studio once in a while on production just to take photos <laughs> to document they may not use it for anything in the dvds or anything but it's just for us to kind of keep and they might use it mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. other stuff in the future but as far as the right. video stuff that happens more towards the end of the film mm-hmm. when okay. they're like okay we need to get stuff for for the dvds um, then they would start to bring yeah. in the camera crew and stuff like that. And I knew on Zootopia they were they were earlier on on that because they really wanted to make a document on that. And um, mm-hmm. so they were early on would go to different departments and just film us during dailies and uh, what that's you know what that's like going through that and see that side of it. And then they'll leave and then they'll do something else. So, but they're never mm-hmm. just kind of hanging out because it's a big production as far as how many people are there and then it can get disruptive with people. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Uh, so I want to bring it back around. You had mentioned at the at the top of the interview, crunch time. What is crunch time like? Uh, I'm assuming this is when everything's coming to a close and you need to finish all these shots to make hit all the deadlines and things like that. What what does crunch time look like for you? Are these long hours? Yeah, it's uh. So we're on a forty five hour work week, and then uh, it goes up like every five hours, kind of thing. So fifty, fifty five, and then it's closer. Uh, 60, 65. Wow. I think I've only done like one or two 70 weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> usually it's around 55 to 60 near the end. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Now, does that pretty much how it goes on every production or does it just depend on sort of the schedule and how things go for each film? Unfortunately for the films I've written on, yeah, it's been <laughs> like uh, uh, those, those type of hours. Yeah. It's been getting better though. Yeah. I think the yeah. most hours we did was probably on at least for me because everyone's everyone's different as far as how many hours they yeah. got to put in. Uh, I think Ralph was a big one and Frozen was a big one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, well, yeah, and yeah. Hero Six and and then Zootopia right. one I got a little bit less, but it was still uh, <laughs> around that. <laughs> still pretty hectic. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask one more question, and then I'm gonna let Mark take it and, and wrap us up here because I know <laughs> we don't want to keep you too no long. Worries. But um, so you're you're doing character animation on all these films and everything. What what is sort of the next goal for you? I mean, I know you're working on these books, but as far as Disney and, and animation, is the goal to direct? Is it just to do more stuff? Like, what's the next step that you'd want to do uh, at, at Disney? Um, I think I don't necessarily want to direct. Um, I just like animating. So just to stay there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to be able to stay there, right? Because I've worked in the industry long enough to know that um, – you know, it's uh, it's you know, if if a project gets stalled for for how many months, you know, I could be on the chopping block, right? Like I'm an employee, like right. I'm a staff right now at the studio, but mm-hmm. but still, like I I'm always aware that I could go anytime because yeah. working in visual effects and 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 all these other studios before is all contract based, and I always have a portfolio or something ready to send out in case something happens. Mm-hmm. So I try not to take it for granted what i have yeah that's amazing uh and then one more question before i go to mark uh i'm sure you get this question all the time and i'm going to let you answer it here so that you can just point to this podcast and send all your fans here um but if for these young artists that are coming up and everybody wants to work for disney what advice do you give to to young artists who want to be an animator doing what you do i would say draw if you can mm-hmm. like anyone can draw really it's it's like doodling is drawing um it's just another mm-hmm way of getting your ideas out because we all have ideas in our head and then if you don't transfer them somehow either on the paper or on an ipad or any type of um just to kind of get it out out of your hand out of your head jared uh, that's it that i it? said that would be my last <laughs> question <laughs> well you said that like three questions i know so I, I wasn't know. sure so i mean i have a million more but we'll, we'll you definitely just have to have, to have back them back <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. We, so before we wrap up, I just want to thank you again, Benson, for coming on and basically donating your time. You have a wealth of knowledge in this co- short conversation, and we definitely will have to have you back to get some more information out of you ah, and some you. some more stories that you were too embarrassed <laughs> to share with us today. Yeah, maybe the next one. But you're doing some more. You're doing some more promo for the book, I, I believe, right? Is uh, that some dates coming yes. up that you're going to be doing. Yes. Uh, oh, I'll be right. up in Vancouver. Um, next weekend or this kind of weekend oh okay and then san diego i'll be there uh october 7th 
No, sorry, October 8th mm-hmm. and the 28th. So we'll we'll post all of these dates in our show notes. Um, and if you follow us on any of the social medias, that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Squared Co., we will post stuff, you know, maybe a few days before to keep you guys uh, informed with all these dates. Uh, so you can go ahead and meet Benson. Tell him how much you loved him <laughs> on the Squared Co. podcast. <laughs> right. And the book is called Holly's Day at the Pool, and it is available now. So you can get that online or uh, in stores. So uh, make sure you pick up a copy because it's pretty great. Right. So you make sure you buy the book first and you take it to go see him and you can get his, your book signed by right. Benson. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. So with that being said, thank you everybody for listening. We appreciate it. And thank you again to Benson. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you later. Up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun, wandering free. Wish I could be part of that world.